0: Music team, lead us in worship. Bring us right to the presence of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this wonderful season. We thank you for your great love that is expressed at this time in a special way. And Lord, we pray that you would open our eyes to your word so that we could know you better and draw closer to you and understand who you are in a better way. That we can tell others. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you ever find yourself becoming impatient with God? You know, we can be impatient for all kinds of reasons. See, see how this goes. Some of our prayers. We'll just how's it going now? Okay. We'll get it one more try. Uh, Sometimes our prayers can go unanswered for a long time. And that may give us impatience. Or we may become very serious in following the Lord, yet it doesn't seem like He's rewarding us for our faithfulness. You know, as far as relationships go, as far as job goes... As far as just answered prayers. Or we see evil going unpunished and evildoers living the high life. And we may think, where is God in all of this? You know, the Apostle Peter said way back in the first century, he says, In the last days, scoffers following their own evil desires will say, Where is this coming that was promised? Nothing has changed since the beginning of creation. Now, we know that's a great big exaggeration, right? But we can find ourselves questioning why God doesn't stop this certain kind of evil or reward this good. Or why does he allow this tragedy or this kind of suffering to innocent people? And today, many professing Christians are turning away from God and turning away from the Bible and the church because they just figure they're not being rewarded for their work for him, or he hasn't prevented them from being cheated or betrayed or hurt, or they look at evil and say a good God would not allow something like that to happen, And so they say, well, he must not exist. Well, you know, first of all, I believe those can be honest questions from some people depending upon the person asking them and their attitude. But I also believe that if we truly seek to understand the Scriptures with sincere, humble attitudes and a sincere heart, and a basic respect for who God is and what He has done, and not slip into arrogance or skepticism or being a know-it-all or being unthankful, then we will see that God is good, and His, his ways will work all things out for good, even when we get into the bad times. Because, you see, God gave us these scriptures so that we can know Him better. And the better we know Him, the more we will understand His ways, even when His ways don't seem right to us or don't seem to be very logical to us or go with what we know. So last week, we saw that after more than 3,000 years of human history and probably a lot further than that, as mankind was waiting for God to rectify the problem of sin and death and all that comes with sin and death. As mankind was waiting for that answer from God, that Savior, we saw that God sent an angel to a Jewish priest named Zechariah telling him that he and his wife would give birth to one of the most important people ever born to human history. He would be the prophet of the Messiah. He would be the one who would go prophesied in, in uh, Isaiah, who would go before the people and turn the people's hearts back to God. But as good as that sounded, as good as news as it was, and even the one who brought it to him, being a powerful creature from heaven, that all of a sudden appeared at, the side of the, at the one side of the altar out of nowhere... Zechariah had to break the sad news to this powerful, mighty, glorious angel that it wasn't going to work. Because he and his wife were old. They were past the childbearing years. And the angel said, Oh, rats. I thought we had a good plan here. He didn't say that, did he? Actually, the way it was, Zechariah said, How can I be sure of this? My wife and I are too old. And the angel said, I'll show you how you can be sure of this. You will be unable to speak until the prophecy comes true. And so Zechariah couldn't speak. So he and Elizabeth returned home. Elizabeth became pregnant even though she was too old to bear children and never had been able to bear children during her childbearing years. So, isn't that the way everyone expected the story of the Savior to begin? Thousands of years later, the birth of his prophet to a couple never able to have children and now too old to have children? Is that the way we all thought it would begin? Or the world thought it would begin? No? Well then, you know, it seems like perhaps God's ways aren't our ways. And it seems like God isn't limited to our ways. Or even to ways that we can even imagine. But you know, I'm sure as we move on here, even though that was so wild and out of the ordinary and would have never been able to be predicted I'm sure the story gets much more normal and tame after this. So let's look at Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. It says, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph Then the angel left her." Well, so much for the story becoming more normal or tame. First off, the angel is sent to Nazareth of Galilee. Nazareth of Galilee was not the kind of a place that would impress very many people. It was rather obscure. It wasn't really known for anything special. Not the place you would go to find a person of royal lineage. So we're starting off with very normal parents, so to speak. But then it becomes very interesting. The angel goes to this unmarried virgin woman named Mary, pledged to be married to this man named Joseph who happens to be in the line of King David, the line of the Messiah. Mary is troubled by this powerful visitor, but he tells her that she has found favor with God. Now, in this instance, that doesn't speak so much to Mary's character, but it really speaks to how God, the kindness of God, and how he's going to treat her. He's chosen her to be the recipient of this unbelievable grace of God. But, on the other hand, I'm also confident that God chose Mary and Joseph due to their character and their faithfulness to him. The angel tells her that she will conceive and give birth to a son, and she is to name him Jesus. The name Jesus means, the Lord saves. And then, in verses 32 and 33, which we read already, but let's look at them again. He says, the angel says, He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. Now these are legal royal terms, terms of royalty. He will be called great, he will be great and called the Son of the Most High. The Lord will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. So here is this young couple from Nazareth, like I said, not a place you would expect royalty to come from. Both of these young people are in the line of David, King David, from which the Messiah is prophesied to come in the Old Testament scriptures. But I really like this part about the kingdom. He will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Never Ever, ever end. And guess what? This kingdom, this future kingdom that will be forever and ever is going to be on a new earth. A part of the new heavens and the new earth that God is going to create after he comes and just destroys all sin and wickedness earth that God will one day refine and replenish into the eternal kingdom of Jesus Christ. So then Mary asks, Well, How can this be? I'm still a virgin. And then the angel says, God will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. It will be a miraculous work of God planting the seed inside Mary's womb. This is how we get Jesus being divine or deity and human. Now, why did the angel, angel Gabriel, zap Zechariah and only give Mary this kind, soft explanation? Well, you can tell from the passage, the context of the passage, the wording used, that Zechariah's question was one of unbelief. And that's what he punished him for, he says, because you did not believe my words. Whereas Mary did not doubt the power of God to accomplish the promise. She was just asking, how will this happen since I am still a virgin? And then Mary responds, may your word to me be fulfilled. So in the context, there's a great big difference between Zechariah's answer and Mary's answer so we would have never guessed how John the Baptist would come on the scene I don't think anyone would have ever predicted this what we've just read is how John the Baptist would come on the scene I can guess how he'd come on the scene (laughs) And we would probably would never have thought it would be thousands of years before God would bring the Messiah to the earth. You know, we see sin coming into the world, everything being wrecked, all this death. And you wouldn't think it would take thousands upon thousands of years for him to bring the Savior to take care of that sin. So why would we question God and his promises when we see from the Bible that he does bring, he, he does have everything under control. And he is working all things out according to his timetable. Even though his timetable doesn't even come close to the way we would do it or think about it. But he is working out so many more things. You know, and he's giving people chances to repent. And he's, he's bringing all world events together. And he chooses to work them in a way that we could never guess. That means we have to live by faith. And following God is a life of faith, isn't it? And everything we read about how God works makes us go to our faith. We can't predict. We can't totally prove. But God has this impeccable track record that totally deserves our trust and it's by grace through faith that we are saved and not from our own cleverness not from our own efforts not from our own goodness or righteousness it's humble faith in a loving God and we still have faith that God is going to carry through on all of his promises and we have such an advantage because we've seen God carry through on his promises great big promise of sending Jesus and Him dying on the cross. Now the angel told Mary that her relative Elizabeth is going to have a child. So Mary decides to visit Elizabeth. And we'll be looking at verses 39 through 45 here. As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. Now just think of how encouraging it must have been for Mary to see Elizabeth who is in a similar situation as her. And then Elizabeth says you know, as she was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she just shouted this greeting to Mary, and she was so excited to see her, and was so thankful that God allowed Mary to come and visit her. I'm sure that gave Mary so much more confidence, and and even uh, camaraderie, as there was no one else that Mary could relate to in that way. And so God brought that together to give them encouragement. And then you have this strong movement by Elizabeth's baby at the sound of Mary's voice. The angel told Zechariah in the temple there that his, his child will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before birth. So I believe that was a sign of confirmation, to Elizabeth at least, from God, that this child has the Holy Spirit even before birth, and I believe that this reaction from the baby was a sign from God that these two were going to work together in some way, or they would be on the same team. I believe the whole scene of Mary and Elizabeth first greeting one another is a work of God to encourage both mothers who were not planning to be pregnant at this time in their lives And especially with babies like they had in their bellies. And it was a confirmation that this was the real thing. God was encouraging their hearts and confirming in their minds what he had told them. And now they're saying, they're thinking, this is really happening. They were being used to carry out this amazing plan of God to send his Savior. And I'm I'm impressed with the humility of Elizabeth who recognizes and freely admits the enormous honor that God has chosen Mary for. And you know, she doesn't have any reservations. She's just freely praising God for what He's done for Mary and what He's using Mary for. Elizabeth doesn't seem to be concerned at all that the baby or her baby is not on the same level or even comparable to Mary's baby. She knows that Mary's baby is the exalted one. And she just seems to recognize that they are both blessed to be key players in God's plan. And I think that is such a great and helpful attitude when you're thinking about the work of the Lord or even in all of life that you realize that God has given gifts to all of us. And for some people, he's given gifts to use to a greater degree. Some people, he's using gifts that will accomplish much more than someone else. Uh, Some people are more in the limelight and get more praise and recognition. And others of us are just as important, but we have been called to do what God has us to do. And, you know, if we use our gifts in the areas that God gives us to use them in, then we should be just real satisfied and happy. I'm thankful I don't have, or I'm not trying to do what other people can do so much better than me. I'm thankful that God has put me in a place that I can do what I'm supposed to do. And I'm not really looking to try to advance to a higher place, or something that takes more talent. I'm pretty satisfied trying to get up to the talent it takes to do this. And God will carry out His good plan, and we will receive rewards for being faithful with the plan He's using us for. Now, let's look at our last verses as Mary responds to Elizabeth's greeting Mary is expressing praise to God with her whole being. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. It's like she can't even believe she's been chosen for this great privilege. And she says, this is such a great privilege. I'm I'm given such a tremendous privilege that everyone will look at me and say, wow, is she blessed it's not because of her, right? It's because of what God called her to do, birthing the Messiah. You know, sometimes in the Bible, people are called great because of their connection to Jesus. It's not that the person is so great. It's that, see, John the Baptist was called the greatest prophet. But it's not because he towered over all the others, but he was the one who, who introduced Jesus to the nation. And you find that throughout the Gospels. Mary refers to herself as God's humble servant and calls God her Savior. And she knows that she will be seen as blessed because she was close to the Savior. She got to birth the Savior and live with the Savior. And now, verses 50 through 55, she says, just as he promised our ancestors. This uh, Magnificat, they call it, from Mary, is her hymn of praise and thanksgiving to God. She praises God for his mercy, that he gives it to all who fear him. That means that they hold him up in high, high regard, reverence and respect. That's what it talks about, fearing God. She praises him, For bringing down the proud and the powerful and lifting up the humble. He's filled the hungry with good things, she says. But he sent the rich away empty. And sometimes we don't see that, do we? Sometimes we see the opposite, but that's the way it's going to be. That's where we're headed. She says God remembered his covenant to his people. You know, he made that covenant. He started way back with Abraham, 25 years 2,500 years before Jesus. Abraham never even owned part of the land. But he used Abraham and everyone after him to bring his truth, to bring his covenant to pass. He used Abraham and his descendants all through those generations to bring about the promises that he was promising and to set up for the future ones. This hymn of praise and thanksgiving is about God's faithfulness to his people, his faithfulness to his promises. I'm sure that many had given up on the promises of God. I mean, we know that. Many had given up on the promises of God because it was so long. And the Israelites would get trampled on and they went through so many bad things. But after all these years and after being taken out of their kingdom... And going into captivity and coming back and rebuilding, and the temple wasn't nearly as good when they rebuilt it that it was when Solomon built it. And all that they went through, and sometimes they went through horrible, horrible things, and mostly because of their sinfulness. But after all that takes place, and so many say it ain't isn't working, here comes the Messiah, born in a manger all these centuries later, the promised one. And Mary says here that God cares for the lowly. He cares for those who are taken advantage of. He cares for the humble and the hungry. And in the end, it will be the faithful who receive the kingdom. The faithful who endure through all trials, through all suffering that God allows them to go through. And we will reign with Christ forever and ever and ever and ever. And you know, while we're reigning with Christ forever, we're going to see any suffering as this, this tiny little speck over here that, that happened for a minute. And we will reign with Christ forever and ever. And those who don't want to follow him and those who want to cling on to this will forfeit all this will forfeit forever. Mary says here that God cares for the lowly, the humble, the hungry, and the faithful will receive the kingdom. And just a note here, you know, we don't know where our country will end up in these latest uncertain times. We do know that some want to lead us away from following the Bible and being faithful to Christ and his ways. But we don't know how far it will go and where we will end up. <clears throat> but we know that in the end Christ is going to set up his eternal kingdom. And the faithful will enter into the kingdom for all eternity. Some people think that means there's no time in the kingdom. There's time in the kingdom. It just never ends. And there's work to do in the kingdom. And there's worship to do in the kingdom. I think we're all going to be able to sing in the kingdom. Not just Laura and and the people up here. I think we'll be able to join those people sometime in the kingdom. But we know that in the end, Christ will set up that kingdom. And all the faithful will enter. So we've seen how the Messiah has come and offered himself for our salvation. We must be faithful to him to the end. He will conquer sin and death in the end. I mean, he's conquered it on the cross, but he will come and physically conquer it. He'll wipe it out. And we want to be standing on the winning side. No matter how many things don't go as we planned or thought they would, no matter how many things we see that we can't explain and think, well, how, how come God would do that? We know from the Scriptures, we know from history, we know that God has everything in control and He's already shown, proven His love to us and that His promises come true. We've seen His promises come true in the birth of Christ, in the death of Christ, in the resurrection of Christ. God is good and he will reward the faithful. And he will set up the eternal kingdom and all the faithful will enter that kingdom forever and ever and ever and ever. Mary gave the right response. May it be to me as you have said. And so we end with this verse. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this Christmas story. We thank you for every event that had to happen just as it did in order for it to take place to accomplish what it accomplished. And so, Father, we thank you for your love for sending Jesus. We thank you for Jesus' love for being willing to come down. And we thank you for all that it accomplished, even more than we can even imagine, although we can imagine a lot. And we thank you that we are the objects of your love and pray that we can be faithful to you and lead others to you, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.